Good evening everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Concast, the consulting podcast brought to you by Concel, the consulting club of NIBA, where we get the chance to interact directly with leading and influential personalities in the world of management consulting and finance. Today we have here with us Mr. Tanmay Ganguly, manager at KPMG India. Mr. Tanmay Ganguly is an analytics professional with 6 years of experience in growth strategies, model development and validation. in both commercial and retail portfolios he has worked on development and validation of business forecasts as well as regulatory models prior to this stint with analytics he has worked as an academician for a couple of years and has published research papers in different national and international journals his key areas of professional research interests include credit risk market risk regulatory and banking analytics predictive modeling techniques His key areas of academic research include non-linear financial systems, financial econometrics, asset pricing, and financial market behavior. We are extremely delighted to have you with us on this episode, and are very grateful to you for agreeing to share your views with us despite your busy schedule. Thank you so much, sir. Tamanna will be starting off with the questions. Okay, so before uh, Tamanna starts off with the question, uh, guys, thank you very much for inviting me to this forum. i am extremely delighted to be here to share my views to interact with you uh, like you know to interact with you guys such fresh minds who are about to enter the industry it's actually a very uh, big experience at my end as well thank you for having me here thank you sir uh, so starting off with the questions uh, sir would you like to tell a bit about yourself and uh, then uh, you know how risk analysis is first an art and then a science so how far do you agree to it okay uh, so before i answer the question just just let me give you a background of myself right so so basically you know uh, so like you guys i had been uh, uh, into academics once i had been uh, i had been fortunate enough to study economics so during my undergrad days i had uh, my specializations as uh, the i mean economics was my special paper like specialization with uh, mathematics and statistics around it right post that i did my uh, post graduation in economics continuing with it but i had never kind of thought about being an industry professional or being or you know moving into this genre of work that i do currently so i had always wanted to be an academician right and and during my uh, time as a student something has happened which had kind of greatly influenced the way we do work today and that is called the global financial crisis right and i'm very sure that you guys all know about what had happened in 2008 2009 you have heard about lehman brothers crash and that was the time you know that we were kind of graduating and coming out uh, doing our final year of master degree like you and was about to get a job so the way it happened was that one of the organizations came in on a thursday and the next friday evening lemons brother lemon brother had crashed and then the entire thing went into a standstill and there was hardly any chance of getting to a job so uh, at that time you know so i so that was my major introduction to finance but apart like before that if before 2008 if i talk about i was mostly interested around the theoretical side of the discipline working around game theory uh, mathematical methods of economics and so on but this even changed it all for all of us for that generation and uh, 
people started taking up more and more into finance because they started understanding what the power of finance could be so how important uh, these how important a banking system can be and how fatal can it be if that bank crashes right so that is where so where the entire uh, so that you know totally changed the dynamics the way people used to see at risk and from 2008 suddenly this domain of credit risk started becoming a very credit risk market risk started becoming a very uh, sought after domain and a lot of work has happened after that so a lot of regulations have come around and people started being very cautious because they saw what could happen if the financial system crashes right against this background you know my journey uh, turns uh, changes a little bit the reason i'm talking about my journey is because the way of work that i do today is very closely related with it right and if i have to talk about whether it is a science or it's an art so i i mean you know i, I would like to correlate my journey with that so so uh, so you know as as a result there were no jobs in the market like when we had passed out and uh, like people were just looking for like freshers like us had no i, I mean we stood no chance so i i wanted to always move into the domain of academics and and that's where i started moving in but and i had to choose a specialization area and that's where i chose something called asset price bubbles so you guys all must be know understanding what an asset price bubble is i don't i'm not going into the details of that but while i started studying that i realized that you know there is a there is a whole different world of finance which lies there and that can be explored and that's where in 2014 i got an opportunity to work i was picked as a you know i got the opportunity to work uh, for one of the organizations as a model developer i i had no idea as to what this model development is all about right because the models that we developed during our uh, academic days is very different from what we do in the industry right so that's where i started uh, under so so i was kind kind of come to terms with the fact that from a so i was transiting from a core theory to a core applied domain right and that transition was a very weird transition indeed and that's where you know i started seeing how loss forecasting models were being built and this is the year 2013 14 14 around that time so all the models were now being rebuilt after 2008 2009 so sikar had just about come in into play and and they were people were going all gaga over what this sikar is people did not have any idea to handle it so that was a kind of transitionary phase where i started uh, working in the industry now coming to this so this is the way you know i so this is something about my journey now the moment i started working with a in so when when i came and i started developing these models right i realized something that there was a lot of quantitative aspect which goes in but there is something which differentiates an average modeler from a very good model or from a genius modeler is that eye for a detail and something called a business acumen now when these two components come into developing a quantitative model you know the game changes drastically so previously when when we used to develop models we used to be very focused on the quant side of it that okay how has the literature evolved what are the new things that can be done what are the gaps that is there and how is it i can develop the model so are all the assumptions statistical assumptions getting satisfied and 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 i used to be used to be focused on that side of things because we come from that background from a technical background 
but the moment over here when i came in i saw the first thing that i had the chance to develop was a linear regression model and a linear regression model with heteroscedasticity and autocorrelation now which is not really a very good theoretical model but the reason for passing that model or the reason for using that model and selling it off to the client was that the model was tremendously accurate right it was performing very nicely on something called the out of time validation sample so the the moment you know when i when you start addressing a business problem when business starts coming into it the business property start coming into it uh the quant principle comes into it and they and there is a kind of a you know an over determinism which happens over there a uh, uh, interlinkage of the things which starts happening right that's where a model gets built now is it a science or an art so obviously it's a science it's a very well rehearsed quantitatively developed science which has been developed Uh, very tremendously over the last century right so econometrics something called econometrics forms the basis of these quantitative models and it is highly mathematical in nature and assuming it's mathematics it has to be a core science but if it's science then if and if you are performing the same discipline you are running the same model i am developing the same model running the same algorithm we should all be the same type of modelers right but there is something which does not which distinguishes a newbie from an experienced guy and that's called experience that's the eye for a detail that's the business acumen that's the gut feel about some some transform some applying certain transformations on the variables that's where you know it starts digressing a little from science because the base to which you are applying your model that quantitative model is not a is not a base of non living objects it's a base of individuals so in your banks you have a portfolio you have a set of accounts and each account behaves differently i may be paying my due you know very diligently so suddenly something happens i want to bluff up the money and i just go away so not every had it been a complete science your models would never have to be have been rebuilt so think about newton's third law first law second law third law of motion they were never rebuilt they were improved upon but they were never rebuilt so if your model development was a pure science or a physical science then you would just implement one model and it would go on forever but but that doesn't happen why because the behavior changed the taste and preferences of the individuals change over a period of time and adapting your model to those changes over a period of time is where that art comes in so a very simple example i'll tell you you would have heard about something called an outlier treatment right so when we work with data there is something called outliers which affects that overall behavior of the data but is not a representative part of the data right now theoretically we have a certain ways of you know dealing with outliers but in reality when you are doing it not all statistical uh, imputations may be very useful they may not help you capture that characteristic of, of certain categories of the portfolio that's where so when you are using a human judgment into your model without that human judgment your model 
is nothing you, you can never be a good modeler without that judgment and whenever it comes in together right it does not remain a pure science because you are applying it to different sections of the society because your bank account would reflect different kinds of uh, you know different kinds of people different kind of like, accounts in your books so and it would encapsulate different kind of behavior so therefore i would like to call this art of model repetitive model developing a behavioral science rather than a pure science so neither it is art because i cannot be too too philosophical when i am developing that model right but at the same time i need to have my own judgments to substantiate certain aspects of a model so there is something called qualitative model development where i have judgmental analysis is being done based on my experiences so it's not a total science though the way i would like to put it is is a, a it's a behavioral science thank you sir for that insightful answer uh, so second question uh, with technology and smartphone revolution do you think credit risk analysis developed a new dimension if yes then what are the new factors to look out for while designing the new model okay this is a very interesting question right so in order to answer this question so let me just go back a little bit okay now let's see how the traditional credit risk models have been built so for building the traditional credit risk models we used to focus on the historical behavior of the borrower and the source of the historical behavior of the borrower were the credit bureaus and the bank's internal information so the bank's internal information is captured at the point at the application time point when the borrower is applying for the credit and the bank's internal and the credit bureau information are extracted from respective credit bureaus of the that geography so for example is in india it's the sibil so in most of the american markets they use the fico uh, fico variables in the european markets you will see they using the experian variables and so on now a credit bureau is an organization which contains records of the historical transactions of the borrowers right so the way it works is uh, credit bureaus ask a bank for the information of their borrowers and save it with them and when the bank requires the information of the borrowers uh, of of some specific borrowers the bureau provides it to them so what the bureaus would have is bureaus would have the behavior of behavioral variables or any variables about any information about the borrowers about a given borrowers behavior across multiple banks right so let's say i have a loan with hsbc i have a loan with a city bank right a credit card with city bank so with the credit bureau the credit bureau would know how i have performed with uh, with hsbc how i would have performed with city on my credit card and then they would create more variables out of them so that's the way the variables uh, so that's the way you know credit bureau save the information and historically what we used to do is we used to pull the bureau variables the bank internal variables and then develop the models now even though these variables give us a detailed you know give us quite a predictive uh, insight into the behavior of the borrowers but the challenge that happens over here is that these variables are lagged right and they and they are lagged by a certain discrete time so let's say they are uh, behavior of the borrower 6 months back 3 months back 2 months back like this 
so we used to use these variables and we used to try to develop the models and no doubt we uh, we have fairly done nicely we have, we have done it fairly good because the models are pretty accurate however with this smartphone information and all this app user information coming in right they have generated a whole new genre of data right so for example think about think about a person right some person a who has a very high earning salary let's say that person gets 3 lakhs a month and he has been paying his credit dues and everything and he has been managing it somehow now based on the historical behavior of the borrower you cannot find out anything let's say you see into his income the income that he earns and the payment that and the way he is paying his bills on credit card and everything is going nicely and based on that behavior you say okay this borrower is a good borrower now let's say i bring his mobile usage information into account right now i see that the borrower salary gets generated we assume that the salary gets credited on the first of the month and within the 20th of every month his usage of some lending apps has increased like india bulls it can be early salary it can be any class of those apps now the moment i bring this information into account you will see that it starts giving me a more complete picture because the way the customer is spending so what it implies is that every month by the 20th of the month he spends out all his income right he spends out his money and he he borrows and which he used to repay and he goes on that way now for the time being he is paying paying everything back in time and everything is fine but what if he if some instabilities occur right so he would borrow from an early salary app and may may be pay credit card bills but he may not be able to repay it back to early salary and that's where early salary will stop giving him the loan and as a result as a result this pendrive individual would not be able to pay back to the banks so the moment you bring in his smartphone usage information you get to see a more complete picture of his uh, a more complete picture of his behavior so nowadays what happens is that you use your bank's internal behavior variables and you use the the uh, his, the bureau variables but now what the bankers banks are also doing is they have there are certain specialized they are using they are trying to capture other aspects of the borrower's behavior that is why you have apps like paysapp for hdfc you have yono for sbi and all these are what are they trying to do they are just trying to capture your other behavior so previously we used to just withdraw the cash from your salary account and used to spend the bank cannot track that but the moment you are making your payments through the app so whether you are using a zomato or you are using you are paying it to some other other places or to, to or you are using you know to pay to some to some restaurant so they are capturing your day to day behavior your spending trends your usage your bill payments the day that you are paying the sources from where you are paying and how how you are doing these things so that is the way they are trying to capture all your information so now to the bureau variables and to the behavioral variables of the bank that the bank has the bank internal variables if i add a model which based on these you uh, you know the day to day spending patterns so 
each of the variables that will explain the riskiness of the borrower will be higher right you can capture a whole different side of the borrower's behavior you can see what kind of restaurants they are going what kind of food they are having so what are the so does he spend more on cosmetic based app does he spend more on a app from let's say uh, from tanishk or is he using it to pay or or is using some early salary app is he using some celebrity based app or what what whatever it is so based on that there are two advantages the bank will have one the bank can help you capture the riskiness better that's one the second is these informations will help the bank to assess the behavior of the borrower better and thereby this would help them in better cross sell upsell or risk assessment or secondary credit tendencies uh, credit strategies like uh, you know credit limit increases decreases loan top ups etc so with these smartphones and these added kind of variables which have come into the story right these days the banks will have a very large set of variables from different kinds of variables from where they can assess the behavior of a borrower the riskiness of a borrower more accurately so this smartphone revolution is going to foster in a new generation of credit risk models and these set of models are called the alternate credit risk models mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us what exactly the work of a risk analyst is is it risk identification or risk mitigation or both okay now the risk uh, the role that a risk analyst plays depends at which part of the customer's credit cycle that he is standing so basically a customer's credit cycle generally begins from the point where he is applying for the credit then he is in the stage of repaying the loan and then he either ends up being a defaulter or ends up closing his account right now the risk analyst is someone who is analyzing the risk at each stage right now let's say so let's say there is a customer who is coming out coming to the bank and asking for a credit card right now there are two questions that we need to address over here first whether we should be giving the loan so whether we should be giving the loan to the borrower or not that's a yes or a no decision and then the next question is how much of the loan should be given to the borrower and what uh, should be the rate of interest like what should be the limit that must be given to that uh, customer and applicant and what should be the rate of interest now the questions the risk that you are analyzing at each of these two stages is very different the first part is you are trying to assess the acquisition risk of the borrower so first you are trying to tell identify that that should i give the loan to the borrower so can the borrower afford the loan or afford that credit so there is an affordability metric involved the second question that comes out over here is that can the borrower can the borrower uh, be so is the borrower a reliable borrower to give the loan right so so you are trying to assess that whether he comes from a demo uh, a reliable demography is his background uh, like relevant or is is he a safe person to give that credit so at this stage what you are trying to do is you are trying to analyze the risk right 
you're trying to analyze the key sources of risk which would affect the acquisition decision of the bank and right? so what are the key sources from where that risk can arise and how does that risk affect the chances of the loan being given out to the borrower so that's where you are analyzing the risk in the second part what you are trying to do is you are trying to as a as a strategy analyst or, or a risk strategist you are trying to strategize the risk you are trying to see that okay how much of a limit should i give him at what rate of interest so how risky has the borrower been will determine like how much what should be the rate of interest that must be charged to this borrower so this is where you are trying to analyze this is where you are trying to assess the credit risk that is given to the borrower that that the borrower has but this time you are trying to to channelize your funds or the, the the limit that you are giving the credit that you are giving to the borrowers in a very efficient manner so at that stage to some extent you are trying to mitigate the risk right or you are trying to effectively channelize the risk so that's another way a risk analyst can operate now the second part is where you know as a risk analyst you are trying to design certain early warning signals right so when the borrower enters into the payment you are trying to develop certain early early warning signals which will kind of give you an idea that okay the borrower has now undergone a, a significant increase in uh, his repayment a significant deterioration in his creditability in his repayment capability and so on so that's the part where you are trying to mitigate the risk so the way the so depending or at which stage of the customer credit cycle and at we and and what is the question related to risk that you are trying to address right where you are standing and what question is it that you are addressing is what defines the role whether a particular borrower will be uh, uh whether a particular analyst will be a risk analyst analyzing the, the sources of risk a risk analyst risk analyst trying to strategize the funds of the 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 credit uh, of the bank uh, effectively in the most optimal manner or whether he is he is trying to mitigate the kind of a risk and and is designing certain early warning signals monitoring framework and so on so at each time so depending at, at the function that you are standing and the function that you are working for will determine your role as a risk analyst thank you right? for that insightful answer sir um so uh, largest amount of audited data is available for large corporates however it has been observed that the large corporates contribute significantly to npas if data forms the base of risk analysis then why do you think that this happens uh, this is a tricky question though so think about it this way so the amount of data that that you know these uh, that uh, that the big the big corporates submit when when they are applying for loans and when they are processed to the risk management when they screen to the risk management uh, frameworks right so that so that gives you an idea about the risk of the borrower right and the, the initial the origination risk of the borrower now let's say that there was a big corporate so so there's there's a big corporate which or, or there's a big firm which has taken a loan right uh, let's say for example let's think about like uh, a farm farm like some some 
some large corporate, let's say Thomas Cook. Thomas Cook is a large corporate, large corporate organization, and they had taken a loan from some bank, Citibank or some bank, in the in 29, uh, 2016. Okay. Now the loan they will be paying it back over the next 10 years. Now initially, when Thomas Cook took that loan, so Thomas Cook was a very let's say that particular company Thomas Cook was a very very good borrower. Right, so so they had fantastic quarter end results, they had fantastic financial ratios, and the bank was given and the loan was given. Now, after a point of time, let's say 2020, there is COVID. Once COVID has hit the industry, the, the tourism industry is something which has suffered the worst risk. So now the fundamentals of Thomas Cook may have had shaken. Right. Now suddenly they have they fall in an industry which is a high-risk industry. Now, given this change, there is a high chance that they would go ahead and they may default. They would not be able to pay back their loans. Now, with this, with this change, can Thomas Cook survive paying back all the dues? May not be, right? As a result, what would have happened is that they, they would have turned out to be an MP. So, having access to the banks or having to the having access to the obligor's huge volume of data does not necessarily imply that he'll not turn out to be an NPA. So he can turn out to be an NPA because of multiple reasons. Right. The riskiness arises that if you know that that's a leveraged firm and then you are giving out a loan to this particular corporate, then that's a issue. But otherwise, if any corporate can have a very nice financial record, but something happens and because of which the company just turns over their head and they just crash. So you can't you can't do anything, right? So let's say, for example, a uh, a firm like a BlackRock or let's say uh, a real estate major. Think about it in 2004 in US. It is just making killings. Now it goes to the bank and it applies for a loan. So it's uh, it's all hunky dory and it's fine. It's doing fine. It has fantastic financial ratios and and the bank gives the loan. Cut to 2009, they, let's say they, they do the loan for four years. So 2004 to 2014, they would be paying it back. Cut to 2009, Lehman Brothers crashes. The world enters a global financial crisis. Real estate sector goes boom. It just bursts out. So that bubble bursts, house prices crash, and that farm is left nowhere. So not only that farm, the farms around that is left nowhere. So the moment that happens, right, the moment that happens, you are gone for a toss. So your credibility, your uh, asset, your balance sheet is gone for a toss. And that's when you default. When you default, you default with a huge amount. So, so nothing can be done. So let's say, for example, Jet Airways. Jet Airways went bankrupt. But but basically, before at, a point, at an earlier point of time, Jet Airways had fantastic financials. Right? So they were, they were a fantastic airlines uh, to travel with. And they had absolutely great facilities and everything but suddenly their financial uh, characteristics started changing and they and they crashed over so most of the airlines industries have airline firms have now just crashed right or, or i mean not crashed but you know they are in a in the, their fundamentals are weakened because people are not traveling uh, they, they're not using airways to travel anymore so so that the, that the frequency with which they used to do right so so uh, like you know, a year and a half back, if you got up to a 6 a.m. Indigo flight, you would see it to be totally stuffed. 
but now you 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 get up on a morning where you will see it's not soft to that extent so so that industry's riskiness has increased their cash flows have been affected because of the pandemic so there's a there's a there's a huge chance that that, that, that the borrower may default right so it is not only because of the data which happens but the challenge with corporates is that not only they are subjected to the internal risk but they are also very sensitive to inter industry risk and spillover risks so for example take a very simple example let's say there is a diagnostic firm okay let's take that uh, diagnostic and that healthcare industry 2008 2000 uh, in america 2004 2005 so the real estate firms doing have fabulous with fabulous result they are doing fantastic they are very rosy balance sheets massive bonuses being rolled out to the top employees and everything is in a hunky-dory state they cover their entire the medical expenses of all their employees and people are going out to diagnostic centers being at the least of the things and they are doing the their checks they are getting regular checked up they are very high health standards and everything is nice now this diagnostic forms that to which they go they need working capital they go out to the banks and they take the working capital banks see a wonderful cash flow coming in from these uh, diagnostic firm to these diagnostic firms and what they say is Fair enough, we'll give you the loan. The moment the loan is given, 2009 hits. Real estate, real estate sector crashes. They they shut down their operations. They cut down their employee base, and suddenly huge huge volume of people have been rendered unemployment, uh, uh, unemployed. The moment that they have been unemployed, they would not go back uh, to these diagnostic farms doing the treatment because their farm is no more covering them up for their medical expenses. So suddenly, the cash flow of these diagnostic firms also get crunched out. As a result, the the financial statements of this, like these diagnostic firms, the healthcare sector also starts dwindling a little bit. As a result, their riskiness also increases. But nothing happened within that industry, right? So there was something. There was an up up and down in the real estate market, and that this part of the race. Spilled over to these corporates, right? So they don't have anything to do, right? So it's it's an extraneous event for them. As a result, some of the firms default. So the way that they turn into an NPA is not because of the huge volume of data that they have, but it is because of a multiple of factors because of their sensitiveness to their own set of risks, right? The 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 their riskiness to systematic risks, their riskiness to Their their sensitiveness to exogenous risks, to systematic risk, to spillover risks, and so on. So that's why you know even if you have assessed the financial standards of a firm of these corporates or these these commercial organizations very nicely at the time of giving the loan, one small event here and there can lead to a you know a spillover and a and a contagion of defaults right across the portfolio. so that is not really seen so much for the retail portfolios but it's very predominant for the commercial portfolios right yes sir thank you so much so for that answer okay yeah thank you so much sir for being with us here and taking time to share your expertise thank you for your valuable advice it will surely help us in our journey learning from you was truly an enlightening experience so once again thank you so much